Hi, and welcome to another edition of ProBlind, uh, brought to you by the good folks at the Aspen Thrift Shop, who make a generous grant to Grassroots to sponsor this and other programs, and we really appreciate that. ProBlind gives you the opportunity to meet and greet the uh, folks who are running for elected office, and today we're joined by Ann Mullins, who would like to be the next Aspen mayor. Hi, Ann. Hi. Thank you, Reed. Thank you, Grassroots, and thank you, Thrift Store. Ah, good job, and thank you for for making time for us. Of I know <laughs> you're busy with your campaign and have a, a whole series of interviews to go through. So we appreciate you right. coming to this one as well. No, this this will be fun. Okay, I good. think I hope so. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let me let me start with just uh, how did you get to Aspen? What brought you here? Oh. Um, Okay, so uh, I'll go back a ways, about 40 years, or 50. Uh, 1971, I graduated from college. I had a science degree, and at the time, women were not that welcome in the scientific community. So I... What kind of science? Uh, math. Yeah. So, you know, it wasn't a, uh, a master's degree, but it was a math degree out of college. And the jobs that were available to me, and this is... Uh, now, Reed, this is one of the advantages of getting older. You can go back and kind of make sense of some of the things in your life or right. track some I, stories. I've, I've and, heard that. <laughs> but you wouldn't know it, but if you've heard it. No, um, I've, I've forgotten it already. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so this is kind of tracking, you know, women in, and careers. And I got out of college, and in 71, even though the women's movement, you know, Gloria Steinem was out there, things were, like, ramping up, um, I could maybe be a secretary. I'd be a really right. good secretary. Or I could sit in one of these cubicles at, at the time Mountain Bell was still all one thing. Right. And these, these warehouses of cubicles. So it, uh, that was not at all appealing. And I had a good friend who'd moved to Aspen the year before. And she said, well, and I think actually she just needed a ride. But she convinced me to come to Aspen and, and live out here. And she'd teach me to ski and uh, we'd have a lot of fun. And so we did. So I, I came out with her. Uh, Snowmass had only been open four or five years. Right. Learned to ski at Snowmass. Uh, and, of course, struggled to find a place to live. This is what I think is interesting. Worked as a maid at Shadow Mountain, waitress at the Magic Pan, and I worked at the popcorn wagon when it was still serving popcorn, popcorn and crepes. Mm -hmm. So what's different than today? I had three jobs. I was looking for a place to live. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, but having a lot of fun. Oh, and, that's good. Yeah, but I, so I stayed here. I learned to ski. Uh, stayed here three years, but even then, in Aspen, there were really no careers. Even real estate was not a career yet. Right. You could be a ski instructor if you're a good enough skier, but I wasn't. So I left. I got a um, graduate degree in landscape architecture, worked around the country, worked in Denver, lived there for 25 years, and then, uh, funny how things work, I got a... Uh, I bought a house in 96, and I would rent, rent it out and then use it with in my Aspen. boys. Yeah, in yeah. Aspen. And just as an investment. But we used to come up here all the time when we were living in Denver. And then in 2006, I got this fabulous job offer. And, hey, this time I had a place to live, so I moved back up here full time. Hmm. Now, was that, what was the fabulous job offer? Uh, that was with Design Workshop. Okay. Uh, landscape Architect. And, uh, yeah, very good firm in town. It was right before, I actually left a little bit uh, before the recession hit. I'm sure that among all the others that were laid off, I would have gotten laid off too. Yeah. But I just kind of 
saw the writing on the wall, and so I took off. Did you leave town then? No, that? no. Okay. By this time, so by this time, I just fell in love with Aspen yeah. again. I just it was uh, it's such a fabulous place to live, and so I started my own landscape architecture firm again, and but still had plenty of free time, so I started volunteering for these citizen committees, and I was on the Historic Preservation Committee, a commission, and the uh, task force that looked at Aspen Modern, and I did some other city volunteer work. What is Aspen Modern? The task force for Aspen Modern? That's when we were looking at, it's, uh, it's a long kind of history at, 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 council, at the council table, but we were looking at post-World War II uh, architecture. Oh, how to preserve that, not yeah, just the yeah, Victorian area. Yeah, whether we should era. designate yeah. it like the Got Victorians. It. And we ended up um, having a, a, a different program, uh, incentive, incentive program for those structures. But it was about an 18-month uh, discussion with 25 of us on this task force. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, I, I mentioned that because uh, apparently I was... Uh, productive or <laughs> effective at those meetings because then I had people start to ask me if uh, I would run for council. Hmm. And so then I ran for council in 2013. Was that the first time you'd run for an elected office? Oh, yeah. I'd never even considered it before. Yeah. yeah no. But, you know, I'd, I'd be in those meetings and uh, with my commissioner uh, task force, and then we'd go and present to council, and I'd look at what they were doing, and you know, my background is landscape architecture, right. urban design, so I found it really fascinating. Um, but what they were doing at the council table, where they were looking at the whole picture, where I was as passionate as, as passionate as I am about historic preservation, I was just looking at this one piece, and I'd go to council, and they'd be considering everything, mm -hmm. from housing to environmental issue to parks department, and that's what really got me interested, is I wanted to be dealing with the much bigger picture. Yeah. How has that been then? Is this your you? This is your second term on council, right? Right. right. I ran thirteen and then ran again in twenty seventeen. Yeah. Uh, it's been a. There's no question. I admit it's been a real challenge. Yeah. It. Uh, it's a lot of work. Uh, you're constantly needing to learn new things, understand new things. Right now, we're working with the, five uh, G small cell, uh, infrastructure. And I, until we started looking at a council a couple of weeks ago, I had never even looked at it. I didn't even know what it was. And now it's, uh, it's something that's going to have a major impact on town if we don't get it under control and be proactive and get some ordinances and regulations in place. And so we're kind of, uh, we're really pushing to get, uh, get these things decided, whether it's, it's design guidelines or... Uh, how many per block, this type of thing, the details. So all of a sudden, in two weeks, you've got to know everything about this 5G so we can get a decent ordinance in place to, uh, so that the city can actually be controlling what's going on instead of the uh, service providers coming in and telling us what they're doing. Oh, okay. But the outcome is great, right? We yeah. get this done and... and um, Hope so. Yeah, it will be. <laughs> yeah. But why, why is the city better at controlling that than the service provider? What's the public benefit of that? I'm curious. I'd, oh, okay. So the, it's not a critical question. No, no, no. It, the it, legislation it, is extremely um, lenient, uh, very much weighted in terms of these providers. And what it is is small cell um, 
instead of the big towers that you see right. up in the hills, sometimes disguised as spruce trees. Yeah. You know, weakly disguised. Which everybody falls for. <laughs> oh, is yeah. that a spruce tree? What a weird spruce tree. <laughs> exactly. Um, these are much smaller things, and they need to be uh, much, you know, units like this. Yeah. But they need to be uh, in closer proximity. So we kind of looked at some pictures of towns that hadn't taken a proactive uh, stand on this. And there are all these boxes and, and infrastructure and things, like two or three times a block. And people oh, with waking up in the morning. Oh, or kind of willy-nilly wherever they want. Yeah, to. exactly, exactly. No control, just whatever works yeah. for the technology itself, but um, not for the visual appeal of the town. Mm -hmm. So what we're looking at in the design guidelines is to require these things to co-locate because you've got three different service providers that could all set up their own infrastructure. So uh, wanting them to co-locate, so they're each using the same uh, piece of in infrastructure, oh, same it. location, keep them off the sides of historic buildings. Um, I've been pushing to have them located with already existing infrastructure. There's something they can do like under a manhole or you put them on a light pole so that you don't add one more thing mm -hmm. uh, to the kind of visual array that you've got in town. But Amazing. again, this is something I'd never you know, even talked about. Who thought that yeah. this would be something that you end up getting into? And, right. and there's right. a, there is a lot of complexity there. Well, how, do you, how do you then keep focused on bigger issues? Or, or is, you know, it makes me think that you could spend a lot of time getting, getting stuck over here or, right. or when there are other things. It's tough to balance it. No, and it is. I would is. think the mayor would have a... a a significant role in that. That's part of the mayor's job. Yeah, yeah. it's um, part of the challenge is, you know, when you get this packet every week and you get a packet that's anywhere from 80 pages to I think the all-time winner was 1,500 pages. And um, how can you not get caught up in the details? Right. You know, you just, it's just this black hole that, so you have to kind of, you know, what we do once every two years is uh, council gets together the five of us, with the support of staff, um, and put together a list of anywhere from eight to ten goals that will uh, go over the next two years. And that's, uh, it's really helpful to step back once in a while and look at those things and say, is what we're doing actually getting us closer to one of those goals? Right. But it is a challenge to keep looking at the big picture. Uh, and some things, you just can't get away from the detail. Mm hmm but you have to get them through, get through them, so you can mm -hmm. get back to. What are some of the goals that are important to you? Um, maybe, and this isn't one of the actual city council goals. Um, it is really preserving the community we have left and adding to this community. What what I see happening in town, and it's interesting to see it from the perspective of seventy one to. Uh, wow, 21 will be 50 years, right? right. Yeah, <laughs> scary. Um, so it's I it's less than 50 years. I think years. we're grown up. <laughs> right, finally. Um, you know, when I was here in 71, there were wealthy people in town. Mm -hmm. no, no kidding. And then there were people that didn't have that much money. But there was not the enormous gap that I see today. And uh, the wealth in town... It just seemed more egalitarian. 
in some time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, and what happens is, you know, there's the there's the development pressure downtown. Council is constantly pushing back against developers, and it's hard when I think in I just read this stats uh, in 2018. The most expensive sale per square foot was $5,000 per square foot. Unbelievable. Um, average square foot cost of, of new houses is like $1,500. Mm -hmm. um, so when you're talking about the commercial area and the money that is uh, down there, the developers want to put in down there, it, it's, it's really hard to push back on this development pressure with the amount of money concerned. I also see it in terms of social, and, and you hit on it. Um, there's a big gap now. You have the more wealth you have in town, the more kind of service providers you have in town. Um, but the housing, there's less housing available. There's less housing that we can build or areas to build housing. We're competing with these high real estate prices. And so these we now uh, house about 40% of the workforce, but that's not, clearly not enough. And it's a struggle to build more, to provide more housing. The other thing that I see uh, we're losing is this kind of sense of community, this, this middle class, the families, families with kids. It's not affordable to, to them anymore. And uh, the services they need are kind of being pushed out of town. They're, you know, medical services. Mm -hmm. uh, the, school, the schools are great in Aspen, uh, but other support services are all moving down Valley. And so the families follow them down Valley. And what I want to do, I want to get these people moving back up here. And it's a whole, it's a whole program of thing where it's housing, it's childcare, it's transportation options, it's it's safe access to pool uh, schools for parents and kids. A lot of times they can't get even a continuous sidewalk to to get to school for the right. little kids. Um, it, Medical care, I, you know, there's not that much the city can do about that. But a look at what creates a really healthy, diverse community and pick that apart. What are the things the city can support? And there's some obvious ones, like I said, child care, housing, transportation. But what else can we do to really support the community as well as uh, support small business in town and a business mix, um, whether it's high-end to mom-and-pop, Mm -hmm. uh, but support those smaller businesses. So we have a really rich, authentic community. Yeah. It's tough. Well, <laughs> 1,500 a square foot. You know, the, it, yeah. it's tough. The supply and demand works. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and many more people want to live here than can live here. And it's, I'm just commiserating, I think. No. I don't really yeah, have right. a point to this. That it's very difficult, I, I would suspect, to be able to create the opportunity for people to live here, which seems fundamental to having them as part of the community, rather than being a neighborhood at the at the uh, end of a much larger community. Exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. You the want valley. you want this integration. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we can do it with affordable housing. We've got 174 units in the pipeline right now that we can be building and you know they're Where everywhere they? from shovel ready to conceptual um, is that that Burlingame 3 or yeah there's Burlingame 3 there's additional units mm -hmm. up at Water Place uh, there's potential redevelopment of Truscott uh, I just saw the list the other day I can't remember yeah. all of them and then we have 45 
uh, units that are coming online this spring that we're doing in partnership with Aspen Housing Partners. So that's the big push. If you can help people with housing, um, this gets to a, another interesting subject. So people always gasp when they hear our budget. Mm -hmm. we, do, we have a budget of $120 million mm -hmm. for 6,700 people. That's just it, it, right. unfathomable until you start looking at what we do. We um, subsidize housing. We subsidize transportation. We subsidize child care. We subsidize one thing. Someone I explained to someone the other day, they didn't realize we subsidize the wheeler um, sometimes up to 75%. Right. But what this means is that the shows they have have there, the performances, they're accessible to everybody in town, mm -hmm. whether it's uh, a tourist from out of town, a visitor or a second homeowner, or um, someone who, a service worker that lives in town. Yeah. So a, a large portion, I think it's almost 75% of that budget. Um, oh, 75% of the budget has been approved by the taxpayers for parks funds and that kind of right. thing. And those are all dedicated revenue streams. So we have these this fabulous park system, fabulous trail system. And, uh, you know, the, the money isn't spent frivolously. It's, it's very directed to improve the services for the citizens. Um, and we just need to keep looking at that to make sure that that money is directed towards creating community yeah. and a stronger community. Cool. <laughs> so um, do you think we're on the upswing here with with community, or how, how do you feel about change in Aspen? <laughs> well, uh, change is going to happen. I yeah. mean, change, it does happen. If we stopped all change in Aspen, we get stale and old and not interesting, and the town would stagnate. Right. I think that's, and this is an argument all the time with people. I don't want change. I don't want this built. I don't want, you know, whatever. Um, there's two sides of that argument. I mean, two points that I always like to make. Um, don't like to make because I don't like getting the argument because it's so frustrating. Um, but it, like I said, if you don't accept some change, and, and that's Aspen's legacy, too, of, of being a... Um, a city that's out there doing different things. Um, you know, we were one of the most successful mining cities until the 19, 1893, and then all of a sudden it's quiet, and then in comes the ski company, in right. comes in the institute. I mean, we're an incredibly vital um, town, and so that is part of our legacy, to keep looking at change and accepting mm -hmm. change, but managing it in a way that works for the town. Uh, the other part of that is, like I said, change does happen. There's not much you can do to fight change. Right. Even if you wanted to, you could not put down the gates and say that's Right now, we're seeing the change in the um, economic inequality that we've just been talking about. We're seeing change because of climate change. Uh, a couple of the devastating things that you hear now are or that we know now, is the ski season is now 28 days shorter mm -hmm. due to low snowfall in the fall and early melt in the spring. Um, and that is pretty impactful to a season that is on the average five months, if right. you're taking 28 days out of that five months. Last summer, and you lived in Basalt, you may be more familiar with this, but um, 
last summer there was very little fishing on the frying pan in July because the flows were so low and the water was so warm the fish were dying. I mean, is that... Well, yeah. I'm you, not a fisherman, you know, but that's as, what I was As a fly told. fisher, uh, I don't remember. Some of it was mandatory, some of it was voluntary, but uh, no fishing afternoon. Oh, okay. You know, that okay. when the water is cooler in the morning, you can fish, but when the water gets warmer, it's so shallow, the fish get stressed, so leave them alone. Right, right. I think the idea is that it doesn't matter what you do, you're still going to be faced with change, and you, right. have, to, you have to figure out how you're going to deal with it. Yeah. Um, well, that's and that was right. the point I was trying to make. That, but... Are we going? I'm going to say three minutes. We're rolling right now, so. Um, but, you know, the change is going to happen. It, and a lot of what we've been talking about is how, how does the city step up to adapt to that? Mm -hmm. But then is there also an opportunity to meter that change? You know, is, is there a way to, are we growing too fast? You know, in the 70s, when, when you came, mm -hmm. there, there was this sense of, you know, we do want to drop the gate. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we don't want the skiing company to grow right. or go up into Little Annie or that sort of. We want to preserve our community by dropping the gate. Right. So what happened? I wasn't here. In, I was down in Denver in the 80s. Because it seems <laughs> that in Denver, the, you know, the idea is completely flipped then. Well, I, I think it did. But I, I still think there there is sometimes this debate about how much do we foster growth and how much do we uh, try and just accommodate it is that is that still a conversation at, at city oh Hall of course or, it is yeah. yeah yeah no it is constantly and uh, well I'll go into some details so growth downtown we yeah. just um, about a year ago finished a completely complete revamp of the land use plan which lowered the heights downtown uh, put in different parking restrictions, did all sorts of things to keep the downtown uh, looking much like it is today to reduce the growth. We took the free market units out of downtown. We still have affordable housing downtown, um, trying to maintain the character of that built environment. Mm -hmm. uh, we do get pushback constantly about everything going on in the core, but I'll defend it. If you go around to other ski towns, Aspen is one of the ones that remained the most authentic to its mining days, um, if the ski town even had a past. Right. So um, I think we've, we've done a good job on that. In terms of growth, you know, there's no way to control population growth. I think it's, it's self-controlled now because we, ha we have limited housing. Right. So it, you know, you can't yeah, it was get always articulated through land use and kind of in cooperation with the county. Of right. How do you how do you have pressure still end up in Aspen rather than sprawling? Right. Well, and we do have the urban growth boundary, yeah. and you have very very strict regulations about what can be built in there and what the density is in there. Uh, we're not quite like Oregon. We don't have a <laughs> a fence where the, everything stops. Yeah. But and then the county um, actually uh, is looking at redoing their land use regulations to much better control growth, whether density, size of buildings, which is great, because Aspen's already done that. Um, but, you know, people say growth is a growth in population, growth in visitor base, growth, you know. I think our challenge right now, not so much growth in population. We're at about 6,700 people. Uh, slow season, it's comfortable. Mm 
Mm -hmm. You know, it's good. It's when we get 35 to 40,000 people here on a, a busy weekend, on Fourth of July weekend. And how do you control that? Um, right. And you see the effects. Maroon Bells, now they have a permitting system. Um, the uh, conundrum now has a, uh, you have to register to right. go and spend it. Yeah, reservation system up there. Um, how do we handle that? Do we limit the number of visitors at some point? I mean, there is, there's a major impact. And then you're back to supply you, and demand. You know, the prices go up even more. This is, this is yeah. true. And a little bit about the budget, too. That's partly why our budget is so large, is because some days we have a town of 6,700, some days we have a town of 35,000. Right. So it makes a difference. Um, and I think when you address the growth problem, you have to get down to more specifically what is it that is creating the problem and what, um, what areas of growth do you really want to address. Yeah. What are your thoughts about that? <laughs> Um, like I said, I think we've, in our land use plan, I think we've done a good job for the built environment. Mm -hmm. um, as I said, uh, you can't control the number of visitors. Um, it's a tough one. I, yeah, it is. I don't know quite how to answer that. You, you, we depend on the visitors as the economic base right. of town, whether it's winter ski season, winter ski company, or summer arts and culture. Yeah. So you have to be very, very careful that you don't disenfranchise visitors because you say, uh, you're messing up our town. You're, right. There are too many of you. We don't want you in here. This is our bread and butter. Yeah. So um, I don't have a quick I, I answer to that. Sorry. No, I, I appreciate that you don't. <laughs> yeah. You know, because I think that's, you know, honest rather yeah. than putting out some sort of statement. Right. <laughs> right. Um, Building a big campground on the other side of the intercept lot. <laughs> exactly. So, um, you got a lot going on. How do you relax here? Oh, uh, that's not till March 5th. <laughs> well, in general, you know, March 5th, how are you going to relax? I mean, how do you still enjoy this place that you've come to love? Oh, oh, oh. I think um, I answered one of those questions for one of the newspapers. What do you like to do best? And what I love about this place is I'm outside all the time, winter, summer. You know, every meeting I go to, I'm on my bike. I ride my bike all over town. I ski whenever I can. Summertime, I hike whenever I can. Um, and mostly right in town, you know, whether it's hiking up Aspen Mountain or going up Independence Pass, uh, I, the environment is so fabulous, the natural environment. And then uh, I'm still just fascinated by the built environment. I, you know, I have this interest in history. And every time I go downtown, you see something different in one of those old buildings. There's something different in the, the pattern of the way they were built. Mm -hmm. Or I'll read something about out at the Historical Society and go back into town to check it out. Uh, one of the, I still do quite a bit of landscape architecture. One of the things I did this last year, or we started summer of 2016, um, talking about putting together this Bauhaus 100 celebration, if you're familiar with that, in yeah. town. And it's turned into this great six-month-long celebration of the Bauhaus in Aspen. Uh, it's, we've got 20 different institutions in town involved with them, whether exhibits or special events or lectures. Um, January 8th or 9th, I think it was, we had the kickoff, and Harry Teague and myself and Dick Carter spoke to almost 150 people over at the Limelight about the Bauhaus and its effect in Aspen. Mm -hmm. And I actually, you know, I think it's wonderful it's recognized because the miners' era is so often 
recognized, but this post-World War II era is not. Right. So this has really brought this into the spotlight. The other thing, I think this is a great example of an event that can kind of bridge the off-season. You have this conf conflicted idea about we want it quiet during the off-season, the shoulder season. The businesses, says, businesses say it kills us, yeah. the off-season. And so if we can start putting together, and the city can have a, a role in this, putting together events or things like this Bauhaus and that that span the off-season. And, you know, it's a little bit uh, softer than having full-on tourist season, but still there, there continues to be support for businesses in town, but it's a little more relaxed in town. I, yeah. I think it'd be great if we could duplicate what we're doing at that with some other events. That's great. So. We're out of time. Oh, <laughs> um, already? Yes. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. This concludes another... Uh, episode of ProBlind. Thanks, Reed.